This episode is sponsored by Audible. Get a free audiobook of your choice that you get to keep with their free trial. You can learn more at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. The Lutheran Cartographer, episode 60. Welcome to The Lutheran Cartographer, the podcast where we explore what it's like to be Lutheran in different places. I'm your host, Nicholas Weber. Today we are going to Hayden, Idaho, which is a suburb of Coeur d'Alene, to talk to Pastor John Bombaro. He is the pastor of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church. He is also a missionary of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and is the Associate Director of Theological Education for Eurasia. He is a lieutenant commander in the United States Naval Reserve and a chaplain with the Marine Corps. Pastor Bombaro, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's nice to be with you, Nicholas. Help orient our listeners geographically. Where exactly is Hayden in Idaho? So if you know the state of Idaho, it has a wider portion about the size of Wyoming, and then it has a panhandle that extends up to the north straight to the Canadian border. Hayden is about 90 minutes or 90 miles south of the Canadian border. Uh, The closest U.S. town to the border would be Bonners Ferry. So moving south from the Canadian border, Bonners Ferry, Sandpoint, and then you come to Coeur d'Alene, and Hayden is, as it were, a suburb of Coeur d'Alene, which itself is a city of about 35,000 people. Hayden, maybe somewhere around five to 7,000. Good deal. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to Hayden. I'm an LCMS missionary. I'm the assistant director for Eurasia and the associate director of theological education for Eurasia. I do lecturing and curriculum building as well as mentoring at the Riga Luther Academy in Riga, Latvia. My current assignment and work has me building curriculum not only for the Riga Luther Academy, but a a future satellite site that we'll have in Wittenberg, Germany. And so most of my work right now consists of coordinating, resourcing, and teaching, utilizing work that um, of of completed curriculums that we have at Concordia University in Irvine, um, but also liaising with Wisconsin, Concordia University Chicago, Ann Arbor, and uh, huge support of our work thus far has come from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. So as a um, LCMS missionary, wherever I find myself, it's about sharing the gospel and catechizing God's people. Uh, a couple of families had approached me and asked if I would be willing to catechize their children for First Holy Communion, which I was happy to do. The parents sat in on that teaching. They said, we would like more of this, and we would like to organize a church. And so in the space of a few months, we will attract um, a couple of dozen parishioners and launched Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church. We started meeting first in our kitchen, then living room, then moved to someone's garage. And now happily, we are uh, renting a church nearby right here in Hayden itself. In addition to that, I'm also a chaplain or the ministry to armed forces within the LCMS. This is another important outreach of the Missouri Synod, where I serve as a reservist in the United States Navy as a chaplain. 
my current assignment is with the Marine Corps, and it's been with the Marine Corps now for, I think, about the last four years. Prior to that time, I was with a construction battalion in the Navy, and then before that for about three years with the Marines once again in their air wing. So three different hats. Uh, I'm a principally a missionary for the Missouri Synod. I'm also a chaplain with the Missouri Synod, and I'm the vacancy pastor and the founding pastor for Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church in Hayden. And then lastly, and more importantly than perhaps all of that, um, aside from being a baptized child of God, thanks to his grace, I'm the husband of Melinda Bombaro, 25 years, and we have four children, Sophia, who's 17, Marie, 15, Anna, who's 13, and then our son, Luca, pulling up the rear at age 11. Fantastic. So, Pastor Bombaro, it sounds like you've been in many different places. How would you contrast them with where you are now in Hayden? Well, we've planted churches uh, in the island of Kauai, that's St. Matthew's Lutheran Church, where happily William Pierce has recently been called as the pastor there. That was a, a, an amazing experience, and I can't say enough about our Kauaian Lutherans out there. Perhaps the most committed, um, truly serious in terms of doctrine, uh, their commitment to the confessions and our liturgy amongst any Lutherans throughout the, the country. Um, they're to be commended in that way. Hayden compared to to Kauai, well, I mean, the obvious thing, the obvious thing is the difference in seasons. So while you're enjoying almost perpetual summer on the island of Kauai in a tropical region, we have all four seasons very distinctly in North Idaho. Uh, we are in the midst of winter, but I'll also experience experiencing something of a mild winter. You know, today it'll be almost 50 degrees, which is very unusual, but by the end of the week the snow comes back and, and that sort of thing. Similarly to Kauai, it's mountainous. So we're surrounded by mountains on all sides, which make for really beautiful scenery in the higher altitudes. Picture snow-capped mountains and then descending um, ponderosa pines and uh, other, other giant trees. Um, we lived for quite some time in Scotland and England, and neither of those countries are particularly mountainous. You know, the, even the tallest of mountains in Scotland uh, would be dwarfed by even the mid-sized mountains here in North Idaho, um, much less as you move toward Montana and elsewhere. Uh, in addition to that, having lived in Washington, D.C. as well, uh, during our tenure at, um, at the, when I was serving as a chaplain at the chief chaplain's office in the Pentagon, th that region there tends to be swampy. You know, there's a reason why they call D.C. the swamp, and it's because it's literally built on a swamp. You know, the Pentagon itself was uh, was drained swampland, and uh, just like Venice, they drove pillars into the ground, pylons, in order to build the Pentagon upon it so that the whole thing didn't sink and uh, be washed away by the Potomac. This is not swampy land up here, although it is the land of lakes and such, but they're usually the results of um, runoffs from rivers and mountains and, and that sort of thing. We were 12 years in San Diego. Again, there will be a, a big climate difference between Hayden and San Diego in that, again, we have all four seasons, whereas in San Diego, I would say there's basically two seasons. You have summer and you have fall-like weather that stretches from maybe December through June um, with the May gray and the June gloom sort of climaxing their kind of um, fall-like experience. Uh, 
lots of sunshine, something that's agreeable, I think, to a lot of people. You would think that up here in the Northwest, it would be uh, constant gray and, and rainy and such. But it really isn't that way. In the summer times, they will have drought conditions and go many weeks without any rain. The winter tends to be a bit more overcast, and in that way, it's perhaps a little more like Britain. Uh, so that should sum it up. Picture a, um, a beautiful area full of wide um, valleys, mountains all around, pine trees and other spruces galore, and um, the smell of nature. Wonderful. Tell us, what are some of the best things about living in Hayden? Well, it's basically indoor-outdoor living. It's sort of just like the, the British, they become accustomed to living in the weather. In the winter months, people in North Idaho are acclimated to the weather and will be outside. Uh, just simply because there's snow on the ground doesn't mean you, uh, you know, cloister yourself and you're locked in. No, everyone will be out doing their routine walks and you'll find joggers and that sort of thing, even in the midst of winter. And then there's a whole host of winter sports as well. Everything from ice skating to downhill skiing, snowshoeing, cross country. Uh, there is, you know, ATVs riding in the woods, snowmobiles, and of course, hunting and fishing. There's a lot of gaming up here in that regard. So it's it's definitely indoor outdoor living, and that's to be perhaps the most commendable part. In addition to that, having grown up in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly shove, um, the people up here are really friendly, and I think that's one thing that we have appreciated. It's also, I would say, um, the other distinguishing feature is its political and social conservatism, uh, which this area is renowned for. Perhaps it tilts more to the right than even redder places in the country, um, but it isn't, I wouldn't say, um, in the least bit aggressive. It isn't, you know, full of arrogance and such. It's just more traditionary in terms of its family values, its political holdings, and its Christian beliefs. I see. What are some of the challenges about being there? Well, I think as a Lutheran pastor, a lot of the Christianity that we see is um, not well informed. So the, the disciples haven't been well catechized. It's sacramentarian, which means that there is not a belief that God works in and through the sacraments, that his word has no power when he accompanies it with things like bread and wine or water. And that's definitely a challenge, is finding common ground on which to talk about how God saves and sanctifies his people. Notwithstanding, there is an earnestness here, and conversations just take a little bit more time. Other challenges would be, yeah, it's a, perhaps a bit more monolithic in terms of its cultural presentation. You'll find Mexicana Americans, some Latinos, certainly in this region, um, but having grown up in Philadelphia and spent time on the East Coast, you know, I'm, I'm used to Black American culture, and there's not much of that here, very little. And it's more of a, um, an accident of circumstances rather than purposeful. There aren't, no, there aren't any major metropolitan cities here other than Spokane, and Spokane really is kind of a regional city, so not very large. And so it, it, it just hasn't uh, attracted a, a diverse population such that our major metropolitan areas would. That makes sense. What's it like being a Lutheran there? You mentioned the sacramentarian aspect of like trying to find 
ground from which to to build on or to converse over. What else is there to the Lutheran experience in Hayden? I would say that there, there are two types. You'll find certainly a confessional manifestation here. There are confessional churches down in Spokane, in the Spokane Valley, and then up here in the Coeur d'Alene area, there are a couple of confessional churches where there's liturgical presentation as well. I would say that the two types of Lutheran churches one finds is folk church and then confessional. The folk church would be more folksy. And what I mean by that is it's colored by a spirit of informality. Uh, The pastor will come out not necessarily wearing a collar, much less any liturgical vestments, and certainly not a chasuble. And, you know, there'll be strumming on the guitar and taking songs from auditors and that sort of thing. Um, Yes, definitely a spirit of informality that way. The confessional churches will be more serious uh, about our Lutheran presentation and especially its manifestation in our liturgy. The challenges with being a Lutheran is, uh, you know, I would say there's a blessing to the challenge, and that is for those of us who are confessional, we immediately stick out. Uh, I'm heading out on a visitation uh, right after our conversation together, Nicholas, and I'll immediately be recognized as a priest, a Lutheran priest. There's a, a clear recognition that uh, Roman Catholic priests, Lutheran pastors, and um, Anglicans so given to the the retention of our confessional and liturgical holdings um, demarcate us. And so I think that's actually kind of an advantage for me because it stimulates conversation. There's a natural deference to um, positions of authority or people in uniform in this region. Um, as a, a chaplain on Saturday, I had military duty in Spokane, and I stopped off to pick up a burrito. I was in uniform, and uh, not only did someone pick up my burrito for me, um, but there were plenty of salutations from people, uh, which is really wonderful. So too in wearing the collar. It is not unusual for someone to say, you know, hi, pastor, or, you know, to to inquire whether I'm a Roman Catholic father or a Lutheran priest and uh, and ask for their blessing or for prayer or share some kind of vignette. So there, there's that that uh, ability for Lutherans to demarc- demarcate themselves. I think that the other thing, too, is that given our catechetical tradition, and we found this with our children in the school that they attend, which is a marvelous school, um, our children are clearly uh, well catechized in comparison to uh, other children. And that's just simply because the evangelical tradition doesn't have a catechism per se, much less those rites of passage that give us Christian identity and form us. Holy baptism, First Holy Communion, confirmation, and then training in our vocations. Uh, so I think that there are advantages to being Lutheran here. The challenges are it's a little fish out of water uh, in that what dominates this region, unlike southern Idaho, where you would have a lot of Mormonism, there's not much Mormonism up here, but there is a lot of um, sort of California style, southern California style evangelicalism, the big box churches with, you know, uh, jumbo screens and 
the praise bands up front uh, that are devoid of all Christian art, architecture, and iconography. For our listeners that might have not picked up on what Pastor Bombaro was just saying, he's wearing a collar right now. I can see him on video. So that's what he was saying when he was he would be immediately recognized as a Lutheran priest. I want to go forward and ask about that folksy aspect. Does that also tie into the, the American evangelicalism that you were just talking about with the big box churches, that, that kind of folksy influence? Yeah, I think that there's a, a degree of assimilation that takes place in regions such as this. So, for instance, when Lutheranism first came to the United States and to the colonies and such, it had to compete with dominant um, Calvinism, the Reformed faith. And so it sheds some of its, um, well, I would say Lutheran holdings in terms of outward accoutrements and those sort of things. It adopted more of a um, American political business structure, right, with district presidents and that sort of thing, um, rather than uh, an Episcopal structure. And that was very conscious to assimilate, but also to establish some distance from uh, Roman Catholicism. Now that has its positive effects, but also some negative ones in that there's something lost, right? Whenever you, you shed a tradition or heritage, there's meaning or significance that's lost. So too in this region, in uh, the dominant form of American evangelicalism, which is given almost entirely to radical informality, a sort of casualness that caters to the comfort of the congregants, and that there's something of a consumeristic presentation to the worship service and even to the care of parishioners, um, that sort of thing, that there's been something of an assimilation of that here, uh, where there is greater parishioner involvement even in the divine service. Indeed, even if the term divine service is even used, much less our confessional language of mass, uh, which we find in Article 24, and um, you would not find pastors referring to themselves in their vocation as a priest, like our confessions do, it would be pastor, and so more of a closer assimilation uh, or association with evangelicalism up here. So yes, we've, we've had a chance to visit a number of the, the Lutheran churches up here, and we have seen where there's been, no, I don't want to use this in a pejorative way, you know, something of a syncretism with the evangelical presentation, and that gives it something of that folksy um, that folksy environment or folksy culture. Now, the positive note about that is it fits into the region. Really, people feel comfortable with that. The negative thing is that the Lutheran distinctions are minimized at that point. And these are important distinctions, particularly when it comes to the doctrine of justification and our affirmation of the real voice and real presence of Christ particularly during the Holy Communion service, which for Lutherans is supposed to be the only service that we provide uh, on Sunday, although we have other services, uh, canonical services, um, throughout the other times of the week. That makes sense. Let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. Folks, if you like podcasts, you will enjoy Audible. It's a service that gives you an audiobook to listen to each month of your choice from a large library. And they want to get you started with a free trial offer that includes an audiobook that you get to keep. 
So go to lutherancartographer.com slash audible to get your free audiobook and start your free trial today. If you're looking for a book to check out, I'd recommend looking at Martin Luther's Table Topics, all sorts of wit, levity, but also good, solid theological insights from Luther as well. Check it out at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. Let's get back to the show. Let's go on and talk about what it's like to raise a family there. Oh, it's a great place to raise a family. There's no question about it. Safe. Uh, it's an extremely safe place. Little to no crime. Uh, homes are left on lock. Um, neighbors look out for one another. There is a police presence in which there is the rule of law and a respect for the rule of law as well as law enforcement. It's an area that is simply glutted by people who've chosen to move here who are retirees from the military and from law enforcement. So in the very neighborhood in which I live, I'm literally surrounded by people who've all served in the military and several people who are, if they're not active in law enforcement, have retired from law enforcement. So it's a wonderful place to bring up uh, a family in, in terms of how safe it is. But it's also a place that's given to um, you know, a, a sense of, oh, what's the term I want to, uh, I'm reaching for here? I would say like civic obedience, right? There's not a deviousness. Um, so one doesn't find nudie bars and adult bookstores all over the place. Instead, what you see are churches and Christian bookstores kind of all over the place. Um, kids can go unsupervised. There are parks and playgrounds, even school athletic fields are welcome and open for children to come and to use. I reflect back on where I grew up in Philadelphia and my junior high looks like a federal penitentiary and you couldn't get into play on those fields unless you were an inmate. Um, but here, no, there are no fences. You can wander onto a field and hit the ball around with your, with your kids. And again, there's that outdoor aspect, lots of outdoor activities. Um, you'll find you know, kids with uh, a fishing rod over their shoulder, riding their bikes down to Hayden Lake or up to um, Lake Pend Oreille, Lake Coeur d'Alene uh, for fishing, to do bird watching, uh, wonderful hiking to be had. I think the other thing too is that it's, it's a well-organized community in terms of youth groups and such. So uh, the evangelicals have done a really wonderful job with this in terms of organizing uh, wonderful youth groups with activities. The schools too are um, really quality schools here that we have found. Our kids are at a, a classical Christian academy. In fact, that's the name of the school. And we have been really impressed. All the schools are in-person learning and have been throughout the entire um, COVID crisis. And that even without masks, so rather than mandating masks and enforcing that on everyone, everyone has the liberty to wear a mask, which is a, a different attitude. And that's very much the North, added, uh, North Idaho attitude, which in my thinking, Nicholas, is important for abating notions of narcissism, of, of, I'm sorry, uh, neurosis. You know, the anxiety that children have from seeing adults and everyone masked up, maintaining social distance, it's really an alien form of, of being human, much less Christian, where we're really a community that engages in touch, 
holding one another's hands during the saying of the Pater Noster, uh, sharing the same cup and chalice. Um, our smiles and countenances are really important. So for bringing up kids, I'll have to give it 10 out of 10. There's even a theme park here, Silverwood. So if, if your kid needs to be on a roller coaster, 10 miles up the road. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it definitely is a great thing that it sounds like the northern Idaho approach is to treat people as people and not as disease vectors during this COVID crisis. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Different states have had different approaches from the very draconian approach of New York and California to freer approaches like South Dakota and Florida. Where does Idaho fall on that scale? Freer approach, uh, South Dakota and Idaho are going to be mentioned together. And I'm not a scientist and I'm not a, you know, um, an ed medical advisor on this, but it, it seems that in places where lockdowns have kept people together uh, without the ability to go outdoors, much less to responsibly socialize with one another, the rates have gone up. At least that's what things have indicated. Here in Idaho, that wasn't the approach. And so, for instance, at the kids' school, there there have been um, numerous cases of people with COVID, but they stay at home and they get past the contagion stage and then return to the school. And as a result, school has stayed open. Uh, all the families have been well informed and you can make your own decision. So in other words, the onus and responsibility falls on the individual and their families. This has worked out really well in this region. And as a result, businesses haven't closed down, unemployment hasn't skyrocketed, and uh, there's been, I don't know, it's been kind of anxiety-free. Uh, I do take trips that uh, bring me to Southern California, particularly to Concordia University, Irvine, and to San Diego, and the environment is different. You know, where after living in San Diego for 12 years to ride around and see literally all of my favorite um, haunts and restaurants permanently closed, not temporarily, but literally gone. Uh, and it's sort of a, an end of an era. Uh, makes me wonder what will happen to the micro and nano brewery industry, which was really flourishing in the US. Um, but that's an industry that requires a lot of capital uh, to output in the beginning in terms of the establishment of all the hardware that one needs for doing such brewing, if these will recover again. Happily, the, the, here in North Idaho, the Customer support has been robust, and uh, we are not suffering the same um, challenges that, for instance, just going 16 miles across the border into Spokane uh, that they have been feeling there. So uh, I, in sum, I would say that the approach has been the individual bears the responsibility for being circumspect concerning how they may uh, contract it or spread it. And because there has been such widespread responsibility and a sense of expectation that we would follow um, the spirit of love your neighbor as yourself, I think North Idaho has done particularly well. That is wonderful. Let's go on and talk about what are the, your favorite things about the area. Hidden gems or not so hidden gems, restaurants, activities. What would you recommend if you had a friend coming into town? Well, if they were coming to town and they were into skiing or if they wanted to try skiing, a hidden gem is, and I'm almost reticent to say this uh, to get the word out, 
Lookout Pass, which is on the Idaho-Montana border, is absolutely wonderful. First of all, it may be the cheapest place to ski, and it has the best snow in the region. There's also some fun quirks to it. You can actually be in the lodge and be standing straddling Idaho and Montana at the exact same time. <laughs> and they actually have a sign there that shows which side of the uh, state line that you're on. That's a hidden gem. The downhill skiing in the region is very good. There are a number of outstanding ski resorts, the largest one being Schweitzer Mountain up by Sandpoint. The diversity of things to do. Sandpoint has a wonderful public beach and where people um, do swimming. And then they have a long bridge that goes from Sandpoint itself over to Sagal, which is a peninsula um, about a mile and a half away. And swimmers swim that all spring and summer long uh, up into a, a big event that they have as a fundraiser in the month of August. It's an area given to Ironman training because it is hilly and mountainous, but it also has wonderful prairies and plains. I would take people to the lakes as well. Uh, everyone up here seems to have a kayak except for us, so we've been borrowing neighbors galore. And Luke and I will load up uh, you know, lunches, our fishing rods with our fishing license, and we'll go out and we'll just uh, float down in the lakes and catch some stuff and go discover some fun regions. The hiking is outstanding. Uh, one of the finer regions in the country for outstanding hiking. The access to Canada is a real treat, although uh, the border remains closed. We're all looking forward to that reopening as we're right here on the cusp of uh, Alberta and BC. So there's just amazing places to explore from the Kootenai Lakes uh, all the way up to Banff and Canmore. Uh, what else to say? Favorite restaurants. Boy, there's this wonderful place. Now, mind you, my wife and I, we lived in the UK for seven years. There's a British restaurant right in downtown Coeur d'Alene called uh, the Crown and Thistle, bringing together two emblems of England and Scotland together. The food is amazing there. It's truly authentic. Uh, and then the other thing would be, there's a, a wonderful gelato place that opened up and it's called Gelato by the Lake. And it's just around the corner from there. Well, the owners of Gelato by the Lake, which just recently opened up, they actually have brought in an Italian fellow uh, with all of his, his own recipes to make authentic Italian gelato. So we kind of feel like it's a, the best of both worlds where you can get really good um, British food, right? And that almost sounds like a misnomer, but cuisine is really on the uptake in the UK. Uh, I think their proximity to, to France and the friendly relations now that the Tudors are all dead, has, <laughs> there's been some seeping in of, uh, you know, the French uh, art of food making, but also, you know, good Italian gelato. Uh, there are also good, um, there's a good Mexican restaurant there is an Italian place called Radici's right down the street here. And the other thing is the prices are really reasonable. You know, you're not breaking the bank um, by coming up here to, uh, to, to vacation. I, when friends come, that's what we're doing. We're taking them to all of those locations. Also to the longest floating boardwalk in the world is on Lake Coeur d'Alene. There is a cruise that you can take out there. We did this maybe... Uh, three weeks ago, we had a friend here from Romania, and we saw 18 
bald eagles out there that day. Um, you get up up close and personal, they'll even go around, uh, circle the boat and such. So it's a treat to see a bald eagle, much less 18 of them in their own natural uh, habitat. Yeah, so they're, they're, these are some of the wonderful features of uh, the Hayden, North Idaho region. Fantastic. Those are what sound like they're well worth checking out. If you go to the show notes page for the episode, lutherancartographer.com slash 60, you'll see links to all that great stuff that Pastor Bombaro just mentioned. Pastor Bombaro, before we start closing out the podcast, I want to make sure to give you the opportunity to send our listeners where you'd like, to your church's website, places to follow you online, or anything you'd like to promote. Where would you like to send our listeners? Sure, a couple of places. Uh, one is our church website, blessedsacramentlutheranchurch.com. That's blessedsacramentlutheranchurch.com. We meet uh, on Sunday afternoons because we're in a church that is uh, already is meeting as a community church. Uh, we get there about an hour early because we need to transform it into liturgical space. And um, that's a, a joy for us to serve the parish in that way. We have Augsburg Academy from 2 p.m. to 2.45 p.m., where I've been doing a series called Loving the Liturgy, and then our divine service, always with Holy Communion, happens after that. That's at 3 p.m., normally to about uh, 4.30 p.m. During the Lenten season, we'll have midweek uh, Lenten Masses. Uh, Other links that I would send people to in terms of where I do some work, uh, I have opportunities to speak on issues, etc. from time to time. I would certainly commend their um, podcasts along with your own. And then I do a lot of writing for 1517 um, on com. So I write a Pricopy lesson on the epistle every week, and then I'll have a feature essay about once every two to three weeks or so. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Pastor Bombaro. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners? That the idea of habit is very important, and it's something for us to consider right now. When people stay away from church, whether by necessity in terms of government mandate or um, fear of contracting illness or something that effect, we begin to form different habits. And it only takes, they say, about six weeks to establish a new habit. Well, with COVID restrictions coming up on a year now, um, people could be getting into the habit where normative church for them happens online. But this can never be normative because we don't live in two-dimensionality. We live in three dimensions. The attendance to be present in God's word. The church needs you and you need the church. In the church, Christ is present in his real voice and his real presence in Holy Communion, but also in Holy Baptism. And you need that. It, Holy Communion is the viaticum. It is the food for the journey of life that brings us through death. And then so too, the church needs you. We, we can't be that community that faces things like death itself uh, without being bonded together. So I would say, let's trust in the Lord and fear not and remember that the church can only be as strong as, the, as her members are galvanized together in real presence with one another in the word and sacrament. Absolutely. Thank you again. God's peace. The Lord be with you. Thanks for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. For more about the things that we talked about today, see the show notes page at lutherancartographer.com slash 60.
Lots of cool things if you're ever in the Coeur d'Alene area. Great stuff to check out. I'd like to remind you about that Audible offer. You can get a free audiobook that you get to keep for starting your free trial at lutherancartographer.com audible. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on iTunes or on Stitcher or in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you have a moment, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. That way more people can see the show and enjoy it. Until next time, I'm Nicholas Weber. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.